Just turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. As you do, you're going to see on the slides the big idea here um, that maybe will help us as we read God's Word. As we look at this passage in Hebrews, the idea is because of the certainty that we have of our glorious destination, our home. We have confidence to continue on our journey, to persevere, to endure. That's the idea as we read this passage. Read with me Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose founder, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed. Uh, You're familiar with the wonderful Wizard of Oz, where we read about Dorothy, a young girl who lives in a one-room house, in a place called Kansas. In the beginning of the story, the cyclone carries her and her dog and her home to this far away land. And the whole rest of the book is following the journey of how she returns home. Lots of things happen during this journey. She meets wonderful people. She meets not so wonderful people. Lots of obstacles to overcome, trials to endure. But I want to focus on what happens near the end of the book. Near the end of the book, the Witch of the North, Glinda, tells her about her shoes. Click three times. Say where you want to go, and you will be there. So Dorothy clicks her heels together. I won't model that for you. Um, And says, take me home to Aunt Em. But before she goes, the scarecrow who, if you remember, has no brains, says, I cannot understand why you should wish to leave this beautiful country and go back to that dry, gray place you call Kansas. To which Dorothy responds, that is because you have no brains. (laughs) No matter how dreary and gray our homes are, we people of flesh and blood would rather live at home than in any other country, be it ever so beautiful. And then you can help me with the end of the quote. I promise you know it. There's no place like home. There it is. 
There's no place like home. There's a reason that phrase sticks with us. Dorothy and her friends had many of adventures. She met many wonderful people, but at the end of it, she still wanted to go home. And I recognize that for many of you, like me, the idea of home is, is a little tainted by sin. For many of us, sin has marred the house we grew up in or the one in which you currently live. And yet despite that, we still have or seek a home. For me, the idea of home was the basketball court. I just would go by myself, just me, a ball, and a hoop. Nobody yelling at me, no opportunity to disappoint anyone, no expectations, no responsibilities, just shoot the ball. That was my home. That was my escape. For others, you feel at home in a particular place or surrounded by particular people. But regardless, we all desire a home. And if you're like me, we look forward to that home often. Christians, we do not belong here. This is not our home. Which is why even in our happiest of moments, there's always a glimmer of dissatisfaction. There's always a disappointment that it will end. There's always a looking forward to something that is not as good. But we are promised a home, and it's the kind of home where there will be no more disappointments, no more dissatisfaction, no more tears, no more pain, only joy and peace forever and ever. And so as Christians, we're called to do more than to look forward to that home. We're called to live forward to that home. Dorothy didn't just pine to go home and then sit back. She did everything in her power to get home. So what does it mean for us not just to look forward, but to live forward to our home? This morning, we're going to see these three things. We are called to, we're going to see how the gospel enables you to anticipate the glory of your home. It enables you to trust the guarantee of your home. And it enables you to strive to greet your home. Anticipate the glory, trust the guarantee, strive to greet. Our first thing we see in verse 8. In verse 8, we see very simply, by faith... <clears throat> Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, and he went out not even knowing where he was going. What made him go? You could say God when God asks you to do it, right? Who's going to argue with God? You could say faith. Abraham was a great man of faith. He just believed that it would happen to him. But neither of those are the answer that the author of Hebrews gives us. He actually answers this question in verse 10. He says he went out for or because he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to a place, a promised land, and he wasn't just pining. He got up and he obeyed because he wasn't looking forward to a regular city. This city had foundations, and that phrase might be weird to you until you read Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, we see this vision of a new Jerusalem. John describes it this way, starting in verse 10. John says, And he, God, carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And it was glorious, 
It had the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. But here's the key. The city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And furthermore, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The author of Hebrews is telling us, by using this word foundation and other key clues that we'll see in a moment, that Abraham anticipated the glory of his true home, his real home. Not just the land that he was journeying to, but also the new transformed land that would come when Jesus returned. That city has foundation. So unlike the things that we place our hope in, our intelligence, our good looks, our status, our power, unlike those things, this city, this promise had foundations, strong foundations. It was not built on sand. It was built on the solid rock. That's why the author of Hebrews can say in verse 16 that of our fathers that they desire a better country. And it wasn't just better, it was heavenly. It's an out-of-this-world city. So my question for us Christians is, what does it look like for us to anticipate the glory of this home? What does it look like for you not just to look forward to something better, but to live forward to something better? Uh, Sticking with the classic movie genre, Field of Dreams, is about a corn farmer in Iowa, because what else is there to do in Iowa? Um, And he hears voices. If you build it, he will come. And he also sees a vision of a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield. And now you might ask, what's the big deal, right? Just Build the diamond and see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? But his family was in financial trouble. They were offered money for that parcel of land, money that would have made a real difference in their struggles. So in faith, that man had to look beyond what he saw in front of him and look forward to what could be. That's what anticipating our home is like, Christian. It means we act right now in light of what will come. If, if what we are promised is a city filled with the glory of God, its radiance like that of a jewel, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, if that's what we have to look forward to, then what can the world offer you? What can Satan tempt you with? You have everything you need. Christ. That's what allowed Abraham to go. And so as we look forward to that city, as we anticipate the true glory of our true home, of course we give our time and money. Because I'm anticipating a city that is far greater than anything I could buy with that money or anything I could do with that time. Of course I forgive my neighbor. Because I'm anticipating a city where there's no sin, no sorrow, no grudges. Of course I forgive now. Of course I endure suffering. Because I'm anticipating a city that has no pain, no sorrow. I'm anticipating what lies beyond the pain I'm enduring right now. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
He doesn't say, look at these first words. He doesn't say, don't lose heart. He doesn't say, please do everything in your power not to lose heart. This is an informative statement. For those grammar nerds, this is a declarative sentence. He is simply declaring, Christians, what kind of people are Christians? Christians are the kind of people who do not lose heart. He's not encouraging you to not lose heart. He's not telling you that you should. He's telling you, this is what it means to be a Christian. Dogs bark. Christians do not lose heart. This is just what we do. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our true self, is being renewed day by day. Because this light momentary affliction is momentary. And it is light, not because anything you're enduring is not true or real, but because it does not compare. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How can we believe that? How can we anticipate? Because we look to the things, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient. They will fade away. They will not last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Christian, we are promised an eternal home. Let us encourage ourselves and one another to live forward to the eternal and not the temporary, to the unseen and not the transient. That is your hope. That is the glory of your true home. But it's easy to get distracted, right? It's easy to say, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on that which I cannot see. But there's so many things that I can see. I see my schedule. I see the aches and pains of my body. I see the worries of my heart. I see the pressures of my job. The anxieties of parenting and being a spouse. The pressures of school and tests and exams and getting into college and doing sports. I see all of that. Those are right in front of me. How can I stay focused on my true home when that's what I see on a daily, regular basis? We trust the guarantee of our home. We can't see the final promise yet. We can't see the completed field of dreams, but we do have fulfilled promises and guarantees along the way. And those enable us and sustain us to trust. How could Abraham trust enough to leave his home and go to a foreign land? Was it blind faith? Was Abraham just a great man of faith and you need to have more faith like he did? That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us that he had assurances along the way. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. At first, this verse might seem out of place, but look look at the pattern here. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Okay. If you're remembering the story of Genesis, this might seem a little funny to you, right? At what point did Sarah trust? I don't remember that. In fact, what was Sarah's son's name? Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. Sarah laughed at God. What are you talking about, author of Hebrews? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 18. 
This is, this is the pattern the author is setting for us. The author knows the scriptures. In Genesis 18, God promised Abraham that Sarah would bear a child. And Sarah laughed. So we pick it up right after that. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and Sarah shall have a son. Then, I don't know what Sarah was thinking, but she denied it to the all-knowing God and said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God said, No, but you did. Okay. (laughs) Sarah had a hard time believing, as you and I would, that she and Abraham, who were old, who were well past the child-having stage, that they could have a child, let alone as many children as there are stars in the heavens or grains of sand in the sea. She had a hard time believing in the promises of God. I know that's never happened to anyone in this room, but just pretend for a moment that you're struggling with that. Look what the Lord does in His grace. He gives her a foretaste, a guarantee. The text in Genesis 18, verse 12, says this. It doesn't say Sarah laughed. It says Sarah laughed to herself. Nobody could have known that she had laughed. Nobody except an all-knowing God. And so here's, and then even after this, the Lord says, why did you laugh? She denies it, and the Lord says, no, but you did. The Lord confirms Proves his knowledge and confirms his knowledge. The idea here is, if you're Sarah, I don't know if the Lord has the ability to give our old bodies as many children as there are grains of sand in the sea and stars in the night sky. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lord knows even when I laugh in secret. That's something only God can do. So if God has the power to know this, then it is not unreasonable to have faith in the fact that he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. That's the whole philosophy behind a down payment. Whether you're renting or buying a house, the the purpose of a down payment is the bank is able to trust that you will pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars over time Because you were able to produce tens of thousands of dollars right now. Does tens of thousands of dollars mean that you will for sure pay that off? No. But it's a guarantee along the way. It's an assurance that you are trustworthy. That's the idea. People of God, Abraham and Sarah were promised as many children as there are stars in the night sky. They never saw those children. They died before they could greet those. They greeted those promises from afar. What they did receive was a down payment in the form of one child, the child of promise, Isaac. And you too have been given promises that this world will be made new, that all physical ailments will be healed, that sin and death will be defeated. Those are the promises that you have. Those are great, lofty, grand promises. How can I trust 
that those promises will be fulfilled because we have guarantees along the way in our child of promise, Jesus. In the life of Jesus, we see healing. We see him reversing the curse. The blind see, the lame walk, the leper is healed. In the death of Jesus, we see sins are forgiven. So much so that in Luke chapter 23, he's able to tell the criminal, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the guarantee. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see that sin and death are defeated as a guarantee that they will one day be completely destroyed. Remember what we confessed this morning for 1 Corinthians 15. We have this fact, in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Why do you care? Because he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the guarantee, the promise, the down payment of a much greater harvest to which you belong. Just as you give a down payment as a first fruits of what you will later pay, Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of a much greater harvest, which includes all of his people. Your resurrection, your defeat of death, your conquering are all guaranteed by his. Amen. And so as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and as we sang this morning, in all these things, sin, death, persecution, famine, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To the suffering persecuted Hebrews who needed encouragement to persevere, the author of Hebrews gives them the example of Abraham. Not, and this is important for all of scripture, but especially Hebrews, not so that you would be more like Abraham, The point of this is not to read and walk away thinking, gee, I need more faith. That is not the point. The point is to show you what faith is. Faith is not blind obedience or wishful thinking. Faith is remembering what has happened in the past and acting on it in the future. That's what faith is. Remembering what has happened in the past and acting on it in the future. Christ has conquered, and in him so will you. Christ has defeated death, and in him so will you. So remember your hope, Christian. It is not in money. As alluring and right in front of your face as it is, it is not in money. It is not in sports. It is not in work. It is not even in family. It's not even in good or religious deeds. If you have placed your faith in Christ, your hope of reaching your glorious home is in the one who has gone before you, the one who has already conquered, the one who has already prepared a city for you. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we have guarantees that remind us to trust along the way and live in light of those promises. So we anticipate the glory of our home. We trust the guarantee of our home. But finally, Dorothy worked to reach her home. Ray labored to build his field of dreams. We likewise strive to greet our home. Verse 13 tells us, These all, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, These all died in faith, 
They did not receive the things promised, but they saw them from afar and greeted them from afar. And they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. That's who you are, Christian. This world and its current state is not your home. That's why we anticipate the glory of our true home. This world is not your home. You do not belong. What does it look like to be a stranger and an exile here on this earth? Does it mean we're in the streets preaching every hour of every day? Does it mean we give away all our possessions, all our money? Does it mean that we spend every minute praying or studying the Bible? Again, in His grace, God gave commands specifically for exiles, specifically for this situation. God says this in Jeremiah 29. You know, verse, you know verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Here's what came before that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. To a people who were in a different country, who wore different clothes and spoke a different language and ate different food. This is what God said. Build houses. And then go and live in those houses. Then once you're in those houses, plant gardens. And eat the food that they produce. And also, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may, that they may bear sons and daughters. Keep the line going. Multiply there. Do not decrease. In fact... Seek the welfare of the city. By the way, that word welfare is shalom. That is a very intimate, personal word for the Hebrew people. It means more than peace. It means well-being, prosperity, good. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to Yahweh on its behalf. For in its shalom you will find your shalom. What do we do on this earth in which we are strangers and exiles? Of course we pray. Of course we study the word. Of course we evangelize. We also put down roots. We don't treat this world as if it's a world that's going to just be destroyed and nothing we do on it matters. No, we build houses. We live in them. We plant gardens. We eat their produce. We marry we seek the welfare of our city. We pray for our city. It's sometimes easy to focus on the obvious grand means that God uses, like evangelism and missionary work and revivals. But the Lord uses planting of gardens and the faithful prayers of his people to do his work as well in addition to. That's the story of Abraham. Do not, if you're reading the story of Abraham as the story of, of an extraordinary man with extraordinary faith, we're reading different stories. This is the story of an ordinary man who was being used by an incredible God. That's the point of the story of Abraham. That's why the author of Hebrews brings him in. And so one of the ways that we can strive to greet our home is by living out the gospel together. Living out the ordinary lives that God has called us to. 
running the race, not, not to set the pace or to break records, but to finish. I know, uh, I know many of you dislike participation tro- trophies. I've heard your rants in person and online. I've seen them, and I get it. Some people worked really hard and demonstrated real abilities. Why should they get the same reward as the people who did the bare minimum? I get it. I get it. Thankfully, Scripture never describes the Christian walk as simply a participation event. But it also doesn't describe it as a cutthroat competition where we're trying to outdo one another and defeat our fellow runners. It describes it as a race where only the finishers, not the participators, only the finishers get the prize. I I think of those marathon stickers you see on cars, right? Um, What is it, 26.2, right? That's all it says. It doesn't say anything else. It feels snobby. If you're not as good, it says 13.1. But that's it. That's all you see. You don't know their time. You don't know if they finished huffing and puffing or were completely fine at the end. You don't know if they had muscle cramps or rocks in their shoes along the way or if it was smooth sailing. You don't know. All that you know from that sticker is that they finished. That's the goal, Christian. The goal is to finish the race. The prize is well worth whatever rocks in your shoes or muscle cramps you experience along the way. Because the, cr- the prize, and I want to make this clear as we finish, the prize is Christ himself. We sometimes get confused and think that heaven is the prize. No, heaven is the place where Christ is. Christ is the prize. Look at Philippians chapter 3. If you don't want to take my word for it, here's Paul. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on to say, because of all of this, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the, up, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Christians, let us press toward the goal. Let us forgive others when they hurt us even when it doesn't make sense to those around us let us lay aside our pride our anger our anxiety our self-control our desires for things that do not satisfy let us put the needs of our spouses our kids our parents our friends before our own that's what it means to strive to greet your home why do we do all this because we therefore earn our home no we end this morning with the beautiful words of 2 Peter chapter 1. These are words that we often confess. Here's what Peter says. His divine power, His power, all glory be to God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Therefore, because you have all the power, what do you do? You are all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Because when you do in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not strive to earn, we strive to confirm 
what has already been done and provided for us. Christian, look forward to your home. It is so glorious. When you doubt, trust the guarantees that have been given to you along the way. And strive, strive, strive. Keep running, keep running to reach the goal of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious promises that we have to hold on to. Thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us and remind us of the goal, remind us that it is possible, remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. And so now, as we leave this place, remind us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. Eternal life is not our goal. A place where there is no sin is not our goal. Our goal is Christ. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that we have him now. Thank you that we have his spirit. And I pray that you would encourage us to live in light of the promises that we have in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.